Welcome to Finish Line, the podcast all about accountability, where we talk with runners and endurance athletes learning how they hold themselves accountable and put in the work it takes to conquer that finish line. Katie, pleasure to have you. Can you tell us a little about who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm an avid cyclist. I used to race on Penn State uh, University's team, um, did a lot of collegiate racing there, and now I ride and race for fun on the track and roads. So I do a little bit of road racing and a little bit of racing on a velodrome. Uh, I worked for Bicycling Magazine and Runner's World as their social media editor for two and a half years, and I'm currently working as a social media manager for a mental health app called Sanvelo. And I consider myself a huge mental health advocate, and I love the connection um, from mental health to running and cycling. Awesome, awesome. And so uh, what does cycling look like at the collegiate level in America? Uh, It's such a fun scene. There's riders of all abilities. Um, I was on a team with some people who were training for the Olympics and some people who were just getting into cycling and using it as a way to get stronger and improve their endurance. So it was a really great experience. Um, And I got into it actually as um, a formal volleyball player. I was trying to run and train for volleyball and I had a couple knee injuries and three knee surgeries, unfortunately. Um, And I found that cycling was a great way to rehab after a knee surgery. So I, uh, with the intention of going back to the volleyball team, I joined the cycling team at Penn State. um, And I was like, I'll just do this for a couple of months, build up some strength and I'll go right back to volleyball. And I loved it so much. I loved that it was an individual sport where it's kind of just you against yourself training versus on a volleyball team. You're very dependent on your other teammates, whether you win or lose. Um, So I never went back to volleyball. I stuck with cycling. And now here I am six years later, uh, still riding racing. Wow. And so it strengthens your knees somehow? Yeah, it's low impact. So since, you know, part of your your weight is on your saddle, um, it's not all on your knees like it would be jumping up and down in volleyball and doing all kinds of crazy motions that could tear or twist something. So yeah, it's great for that. And so what are the common injuries then in cycling? In cycling, uh, broken collarbones is the most common. If you fall the wrong way and you put your arm out, that's your first instinct is to stop yourself with your arm, but that puts the wrong amount of pressure on your collarbone. And it's almost like a battle scar that a lot of cyclists have is um, their broken collarbones. It's pretty common. I haven't done it yet. I've been lucky. I fall and I hold onto my handlebars so that I don't put my arm out and hurt my uh, collarbone. But, that's what you're supposed to do is hold onto the handlebars. Yeah. But I mean, when you're in the moment, your instinct is to put your arm out, which is how your injuries can happen. Got it. Okay. Interesting. And, um, so you switched over from volleyball. How did you overcome that initial hump of, of getting into cycling and being a novice and no good at it when you started? Definitely the community. It's all about the people you know. I worked with a great coach and I had great teammates that were all super welcoming. Uh, some of the people on the team at Penn State were training to literally compete at the Olympic level. And I was entering the sport just trying to figure out how to pedal properly and what kind of things I should be wearing to ride. Um, how to put my helmet on correctly, things like that. And they were so open and helpful um, to go out on training rides with me and get me up to speed. Um, So it was awesome to have such a welcoming cycling community. And I found that at the collegiate level, it's really welcoming like that to all riders and abilities, which is great and really needed right now. And is this emblematic of the cycling community as a whole? I would say so. Yeah, it's a very, it's, 
it's a difficult sport to get into, I think, because of the initial price of the bike. It's a little bit more um, of an entrance price point than running, where you just buy a pair of shoes with cycling. You've got the bike, the bike shoes, maybe a helmet, hopefully, if you're you know riding um, out on the road. And all the gear that goes along with that can be an initial purchase. But I was lucky to borrow stuff from teammates, from friends, from people who knew I was getting into cycling. Um, so I first started out with borrowed shoes, borrowed helmet, a borrowed bike. Um, and then as I got more into the sport, I started saving up to buy my own stuff on Craigslist. But yeah, it's definitely a sport once you know people and you can um, start borrowing equipment. But I understand though that it is sometimes a little intimidating for someone to get into the sport if they don't have all the gear. And so if someone's getting into the sport for the first time and has a basic amount of, of basic riding experience, what's the first bike that they should be buying and what kind of, of, of price range are they typically? Ooh, that would depend. I would say a hybrid bike is a great way to go if you're just going to be hitting your local rail trail. Um, I think a lot of um, people might go in and buy a road bike, which is also really fun. Depends, I guess, on the terrain. Um, I'm into track cycling and road cycling right now. Um, so I have a road bike and a track bike. Um, the track bike has no brakes and it's just meant to be raced in a velodrome. I wouldn't take that one out on the road. Interesting. And so... Um... Is cycling always enjoyable to you now that you've sort of invested in all the bikes and are probably a great cyclist? Is it always enjoyable? I'd say I went through a phase where it wasn't enjoyable, where I was comparing myself to much to others. Um, I found some runners go through the same thing where you look on Strava and you see what everyone else is doing and you see, oh man, they're putting in you know so many miles a week at this pace. And you really start comparing yourself with that. Um, and holding yourself accountable in your training. And what I've learned is you need to, you know, stop holding yourself to someone else's training plan and just focus on what you're doing and what your personal bests are, what you can do day to day. Um, and I found that breaking up the training as well is really helpful. So some days I don't ride my bike at all. I'll just do a yoga class. I really like yoga with Adrian on YouTube. She's got like tons of like 30 day free yoga challenges. And I'll do some of those to break up my training. And it kind of stimulates your mind and your body in a different way so that you don't get burnt out. Hmm. Interesting. And so what would you say the hardest challenges you ever faced on, on the bike? Uh, the hardest challenge was a race I did my senior year at Penn State. It was called the Black Mo Road Race. Black Mo is a huge mountain at Penn State University. And I was training at the time on the velodrome, which is a completely flat oval. So I was just doing weeks on end of riding in this flat oval, just training completely flat, no elevation. And I signed up for this road race that had a five mile climb. And I just didn't, I guess I just didn't picture how difficult that would be. It was a twisting road. So you could never quite see the end. And it felt like the longest five miles of my life. It was insanely steep um, and just twisting the whole time. And I remember there were race photographers scattered throughout this climb. And my whole goal was to just get to the next photographer and try to like pull myself together. I was like, all right, I'm going to get some good Instagram photos out of this. I'm not going to be walking or like halfway, like leaning to the side of my bike. I'm just going to motivate myself by looking at where these photographers are placed on this uh, course. And it was like a weird mental game, but it worked to just like hold myself accountable to get to each checkpoint on that five mile climb. Um, and I remember I got to the end of that and I felt like I could barely walk. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so is climbing typically seen as the most difficult part in cycling? 
if it depends on the type of rider. Um, some people train for that and they love it. Um, I'm someone who I don't consider myself a climber. I consider myself a sprinter. Um, I focus on building up muscle in my legs um, to sprint faster, but that muscle in your legs, sometimes you can build up lactic acid and it'll slow you down on the climbs if you haven't been training for them. So yeah, my legs felt like just like wet pool noodles that I was trying to settle with taking me up a climb. Um, but then if I was on a flat surface and I just needed to sprint flat out, that would be where I would excel. Interesting. Interesting. And so different people will specialize on different areas. Definitely. Yeah. You'll see very like built up riders that are definitely sprinters, extremely muscular, and then some leaner riders that are built for the climbs. Hmm. And, um, how important is like your body weight in cycling? Um, it depends, I guess. It, it, some riders really do a lot of training around that. I try not to. I think that that can tie into the mental aspect if you hold yourself too much to that. Um, so if you are a climber, you know, the less weight you have, the faster you may be able to go up the climb, but it also depends on how much muscle mass you have. Um, it's funny, there also is a thing in cycling where people try to have the lightest bike possible. Um, so people will like obsess over little things like taking a gram off of the weight of their wheels or some little small component, like having an aluminum bottle cage versus a carbon fiber one, just to save a couple grams that could make it just a tiny bit easier to get up a climb. Or you might see people throwing away their water bottles in a pro race on a climb because they don't want that extra weight. So <laughs> there are people, some people refer to them as weight weenies as like a joke. Um, mm. yeah, really, you know, you try to lose any extra weight to get you up there and I've been there and I think sometimes it just helps mentally when you think that you have like a lighter bike and a lighter equipment, like, okay, I'm going to get up here faster. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not getting up there that much faster. Mm -hmm. Well, it's sometimes it's very much a mental game. Uh, and what's like the longest bike ride you've ever been on? Uh, a century. So I did a hundred miles. Um, I haven't gone further than that, but there is a ride here um, and that you can go from Miami to Key West and it's about 135 miles, but it's extremely flat since there's no hills here in Miami. So I'm thinking about going for this one that's 135. Mm. Um, I'm still training for it. And I think the key to that will be having proper fuel, just staying hydrated out in the sun and taking enough breaks to eat. It's once you get to that point where you haven't been fueling, you start bonking as they call it, where your brain just starts shutting down. Um, and your body sort of goes into a state where you haven't taken in enough calories and start to feel a little bit dizzy. And has that happened to you very often? Definitely. There's been a ride where I kept like, I was definitely bonking. I wasn't eating enough food and I kept smelling pizza on the ride. Um, and my friend was like, there is no pizza around. And I was like, I smell pizza. And we're like 80 miles into a ride. And I was like, I'm hallucinating. I'm just imagining that there's some pizza shop coming up around the corner. That's crazy. That, does that happen often, like hallucinations like that? Not unless you really become calorie deficient. On that ride, I was just so focused on like getting through the miles. Um, it was in, I think it was about a 90 mile ride that we were doing with Bicycling Magazine. Mm -hmm. And I was just so focused on the miles. I wasn't thinking about how many calories I was taking in. And it wasn't necessarily a hot day, which sometimes mm -hmm. when it's not hot out, you don't think you need to drink as much water, but you do. Um, so I wasn't taking in enough water. I wasn't eating enough foods. Um, and then it hit me and I started imagining pizza, pizza shops around the corner and could smell it in the air, even though it was not there. Strange. <laughs> At and the end of the ride, I got lots of food though. So it was all good. Interesting. And um, so when you're on like a hundred mile ride, that's got to be at least a half day to full day ordeal. What's going through your mind? 
like for all that time where you're just on the bike pedaling? Yeah, it definitely helps to have company. Um, I haven't done one solo, but sometimes you wear one headphone. You never really want to wear two um, so that you can stay alert to road noise. Um, but one headphone with low volume, you could put a podcast or some music on. Um, it helps to have someone to talk to. And it also helps to break it up in your mind to get to a halfway point and tell yourself, okay, only 50 mile ride from here on, or, you know, only four more hours, you know, um, sometimes you might plan a stop. Like I like to stop at like sheets gas stations, which is kind of funny, but, um, they have like quick sandwiches that you can grab and go. And it doesn't feel like too weird of a place to walk in, in your sweaty cycling gear. So I'll just tell mm -hmm. myself I have to get to that sheets gas station to grab that sandwich and continue my ride and break it up mentally there. That's cool. And, uh, and so I'm sure you've set your mind out to do other things. Unlike the Black Mountain University ride, perhaps you didn't uh, accomplish whatever that, that goal was or task in mind. I'm curious how, as a cyclist, you um, recover from something like that. Yeah, when I don't quite reach where I want to be in my training, um, I try to just go mentally easy on myself and think of what else I had going on in my life. Um, for example, I competed at collegiate nationals um, at the velodrome in Indianapolis, and it was a great experience, but I had terrible results. Um, I got uh, DNF dead last in some races because I was just not about it that week. Um, but then I realized I was working a full-time job. I was a full-time student. And in the weeks leading up to that, I had some big final exams for some of my classes. So when my results weren't what I expected, I tried to consider the other things that I had going on in my life. And I got an A on an exam in school and I did really well in my job. So you can't keep all plates in the air at the same time. And I think it's important to remember what else you have going on. So you were working a full-time job while being a full-time student? Mm-hmm, yeah. How do you manage that with just like the number of hours there? Um, so I was working full time at Bicycling Magazine and then um, I would end my day around five and go to work or go to night classes at Penn State from six to nine thirty. Um, so this is a pretty intense day, um, but I would stay balanced um, by just making sure I was sleeping and eating properly, I found was the main thing. Um, and I also just had to limit my time um, that I was spent doing other things like going to parties or going out with friends. Um, I found that you needed those times on the weekend to get catched up with all your coursework. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely a balance. Uh, I started as an intern at Bicycling Magazine my junior year of college. Um, I was actually just out on a bike ride one day and I met um, Bill Strickland, who is the editor in chief of Bicycling Magazine. He met me on a bike ride. We were just came across each other on the road and started talking and he offered me an internship at the magazine, um, which turned into a full-time job offer by my senior year. And I just, I couldn't turn down the opportunity. Um, so I did work full-time at Bicycling Magazine my senior year of school. Um, and that's where I saw my cycling start to suffer a little because I was working this full-time job then taking night classes. Um, so by the time races came around, I was drained. And it was some, sometimes it's funny because you sit in your desk in your chair all day at work and school. So it doesn't feel like you're doing a lot, but mentally and just your stress level in your body of all the things that you go through in a day, it does take a toll and you'll see it later when you're in your training, whether that's running or cycling, your body will let you know when it's tired. Hmm. And so, um, how many calories do you try and get in a day? Ooh, I don't actually count calories because I, I don't like the mindset behind it, but 
I like to eat three solid meals a day. And then I snack whenever I'm hungry. I always try to have things like grapes and apples. And I like the Belvita bars, just anything to get some calories in, but I don't limit myself when I'm hungry. I always just make sure that there's something healthy that I can grab for. Interesting. Interesting. Very smart. And, um, so do you have any favorite books, thought leaders, or other resources for the listeners on, on motivation or general fitness? Yeah, one of my favorites right now is the Yoga Girl podcast. It's actually motivating me to try running. So she is a yoga instructor that has talked previously in her podcast how she wasn't a runner and how she couldn't understand the mindset that some people that are intense runners get into and how they love it. And then she's recently started running and really enjoys it. And it's now inspiring me as a cyclist and someone who struggled to run, to really enjoy running, um, to give it a shot. So her most recent podcast is um, titled like why I love running now. And it was really inspiring me. And I've been going out on like slow little jogs inspired by her. One of the other uh, people on the internet that I love right now is the Runner's World Coach. Um, It's just at Runner's World Coach on Instagram. That was one of the projects I worked on when I was at Runner's World. Um, And she does workouts every Wednesday at noon. They're free and they're live on Instagram. And it's about a 40 minute body weight workout. And it is so intense. Your whole body will burn. But the exercises, um, they're tailored to runners, but I found that they're very beneficial to cyclists as well. And she's just super motivating. Um, she's a great athlete herself um, and definitely a good follow if you're looking for some strength training that will tie into your running or cycling. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Katie. Really, really appreciate having you on the podcast. It was great hearing about all your cycling adventures you've experienced so far in your cycling career. Thank you. It's great to be here. For an extra dose of accountability, check out the app Kadoo, the most intense form of fitness motivation out there. On Kadoo, you're held financially accountable to achieve your running and walking goals, but get paid for doing so. Check it out on the app in Play Stores or at the link below.